We are excited to have another Promo Kitchen Apparel podcast, and I am Jay Bussell, one of the hosts. I am joined by Mark Graham, the other master OG chef of Promo Kitchen. And today we have a special guest with us, Tom Rowan, who is the owner of Envision Tees in Iowa and also the co-founder of Shirt Lab. And Tom, we are just jacked up excited to have you on our podcast today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Well, good. Mark, anything from you before we get into this? Any words of wisdom? Are you also fired up? I can tell you I am super fired up, particularly because before we clicked record, Tom was regaling us with all sorts of stories of superhuman strength and endurance that just blew me away. So I'm really excited about what we're going to get into here. But awesome to have you on the show, Tom. Thanks for your time, man. We are excited. So Tom, let's get right to it. Why don't you give us just a minute, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about you, your background, where you're from, what's going on in your world, where you live now, how you started your business, just one, two minutes, and then we'll get really specific with some other questions. Tell us about Tom. Tell us about you. Yeah. Grew up in a small town, Farley, Iowa. And in high school and in college, I was always like the t-shirt guy. So whether I was on a sports team or involved with any organization, I was like the go-to guy for ordering t-shirts. And then in college, I'd come up with different sayings and stuff and order them and then go tailgating and sell them in the parking lot to get money and pay for rent and beer and whatever else. <laughs> nice. Naturally, when I graduated, I was like, I have an idea of like, you know, this business a little bit and or at least I know how to sell t-shirts. So, you know, started my parents' basement and was there for about four months. What year was that? When did you start? That was 2005. Okay. And started there and lasted there about four months and then got first retail location. Was 2,000 square feet and been growing ever since then. I think our annual growth rate's been about 25% every year for 14 years. So we've made the Inc. 5000 list for fastest growing companies in America the last two years. And we just keep on enjoying the ride and you know doing everything in-house from screen printing, embroidery. We've got a laser bridge. We've got a couple of rotary laser engravers and direct-to-garment, so kind of a wide range of services, and our team just keeps growing along with it. And of course, you had that entire business plan mapped out in 2005, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know how to print a t-shirt when I started. I'll tell you what, the first three years, a lot of trial and error, cut my teeth the hard way, lost a lot of money screwing stuff up. Burned through a few shirts, did you? Yeah. I mean, I was working 100 hours a week. I mean, it literally from when I woke up until I was too tired to stay awake, that's how many hours I worked. Wow. And that was seven days a week, basically for the first three years. I mean, I, I learned the hard way on a lot of things. Probably wasn't the smartest way to start a business. <laughs> well, I learned a lot of lessons and, you know, that helped me grow from there as well. So you knew pretty quick out of college, rather than take your earned four or five year, in my case, degree to the next level, you decided, hey, you know what? Apparel decoration is for me and I can't wait to start my own business. I mean, that's a big jump. Or was it maybe always in the back of your mind? I think I got a hold of something here. I'm going to make a business out of this. 
you know, I've always had the entrepreneur mindset. So I've always knew I was going to have my own business at some point. I just didn't know what it was. So people are always like, oh, do what you're passionate about, right? Yeah. And do something you're really passionate about. And like, nobody wakes up passionate about t-shirts, are they? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe some people are. Maybe Jim. I, I I've met like, a few. I own like thousands of them. So my wife probably says, yeah, I am passionate about because I won't let her throw any away. <laughs> but graduating from college, I had two things I was passionate about. I was passionate about sports, which I've always been a huge baseball fan. And then I was bartending at the time. So I really enjoyed the bar and restaurant industry. You know, I thought, what can I do that incorporates sports or the bar and restaurant industry? And when I was bartending, I got to know all these business people and other things. And when I looked at shirts, I thought, this is great. I can work with high schools and colleges and all the coaches and still be like involved with the sports and kind of, you know, talk the talk with those guys and then still be involved with the bar and restaurant industry because all these people need uniforms and shirts that they're going to sell at their bars and stuff like that, koozies and whatnot. So like, this is awesome. I can take two different industries that I enjoy and I'm passionate about and have those tied together with t-shirts. Very cool. What a great start. And what a cool story. Tom, I'm curious, back in 2005, you said that you you have these passions, but you didn't know anything about printing shirts or really anything about the industry. Tell me about that decision point to get into the apparel decorating world as opposed to the promotional products world. And the reason I make that distinction is that people in the apparel decorating world go out and actually print the shirts, they get the equipment. Whereas if you had gone through the promotional products distributor door, you'd probably be more likely to broker that out and find a contractor that could do that for you. Why did you decide to go in one door as opposed to the other? I was too green to know the difference. (laughs) I didn't even know there was an option. If I did, I probably wouldn't have dove all in on the equipment and printing and all that because the hardest part of starting was I was just fresh out of college. I had a computer graphics degree and a business degree. So I knew how to do the artwork. I knew a little bit about business, but really what they teach in school is not the same as what you actually do in real life. Yep. And I had no clue about on the production side. So I spent the first three years just trying to figure out production plus running a business plus everything else. And it took so much time and energy and effort to do everything that I didn't even realize that there was an option for contract printing <laughs> or what a contract printer was until I was at least three or four years into the business. If I would have known that like from the start before I even started, I would not have bought equipment. I would have probably went more of the promotional side and said, you know what, I'm going to build up my customer base and the foundation of this business. And at a certain point, if we reach a certain size, that it makes sense to bring production in-house, yeah. then do it. Yeah. And that would have probably saved me a lot of headaches, a lot of hours. I think we would have scaled up a lot quicker. Yeah. But I just didn't know. Yeah, it's so fascinating. I'm more from the promotional product world when I first started off as a distributor. And this is an interesting story. I remember I got a hold of the customer service line at Gildan. So I'd heard Gildan was a big supplier of shirts at the time. So this is like 2000-ish or so. And got in touch with someone who headed up the customer service department. And I said, hi, can I uh, open an account with you? And he's like, oh, 
slow down there, sailor. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your business. And I said, well, just getting started. And he actually realized he was speaking to an idiot. <laughs> he had no experience. And he said, let me explain. There's two ways that you can buy t-shirts from, I'm paraphrasing, two ways you can buy t-shirts from us. Number one is you can be someone who actually prints on the shirts and we're happy to open up an account if you're that person, or you're a person who will order the shirts and contract it out to someone else. And you'll effectively be involved in the sales, marketing and design, but you're not actually printing. And it was this person at Gildan who had explained the sort of foundational structure of the industry. And I was like, well, I probably have a better head for sales, marketing and branding than I do for production. So I'll go down that path. So I always love asking that question of people who are on the apparel decorating side, because I have a ton of respect <laughs> for that world, because it, to me, it feels like rocket science. So good on you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I would say that, but yeah, it was, I went to my first trade show in the fall of 2005 is ISS Atlanta, I believe. And nobody told me that everyone just said, Hey, here, get this equipment, buy this, buy this, buy this. Yeah. Nobody said, Hey, have you thought about starting it this way? <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, but the guys that sell equipment are never going to tell you that. <laughs> true. They're like drug dealers, like Jay. Yeah, we, yeah. we are. We are. I mean, I mean, they are, they are. Yeah. <laughs> That is such a great point and a great distinction. I love hearing the differences. And Mark, I've never heard you say that, that story about Gilman. That's super cool. They're kind of partly responsible for any success or lack thereof that I've had in the last 20 years. So shout out to Gildan. We'll continue to blame them from one Canadian to another. Why not? You know, they're a Canadian company, or I suppose at the time they were more headquartered in Montreal. But anyways, that was the connection. So in the thing I've seen lately, a handful of guys in the industry, they've realized that it's hard to do both really well, yeah. especially if you're not a contract printer. And it's hard to put your focus there and everything else where they've sold all their equipment and they went to just being a broker and going that route where they said, you know what, this is just too much. Or they realized that they're not doing it efficiently and it's costing more to print in-house than it would be just to contract it out. Yeah, that's interesting. I've seen a little bit of a shift like that, but I think it's more just the focus. People are doing a better job with more information, more training, more marketing materials. They're trying to really not just cover themselves up in the blanket of, I'm just following my passion. And they're being a little bit more strategic and tactical and trying to reach a particular goal. And so hopefully that marketing is trickling down. And speaking of marketing, you know, you seem to be the kind of guy that is always up for and I don't want to call this a stunt because I know these are not stunts. I know that there's a lot of thought behind it, but I've seen, and we've talked before, Tom, and I've seen some of your YouTube videos. And for those of you listening, you ought to check out, I believe, Tom, your world record of number of t-shirts worn has since been, maybe somebody else has passed your previous world record, but you were at one time, and correct me if I'm wrong, the year you were a world record holder of the total number of t-shirts worn by any one individual at one time. Is that true? Yes, I was with 247 shirts and it did recently get broken by someone in Canada. Ah, I think that, Mark, I think it was that me. Mark 260, maybe something like that. Wow. So tell us a little bit about that. I've seen the video, but I want to hear it from your words. I want to hear what got you into thinking, Hey, this is a good idea. And then I noticed that several of the shirts you were putting on had sponsors' names or there was a cause that you were promoting. 
give us a little taste of what that was like and what were the outcomes and yeah so a couple of things media stunts or media hacks i love doing and really it's just like how do you get their attention or do like a pattern interrupt with them so i've got a bunch of different tactics that we do and i've gotten nationwide and worldwide media people magazine wall street journal cnn all of that on a bunch of different things and i enjoy doing that because i just like enjoy the experience of it i enjoy sharing that with other people and the guinness world records is like the ultimate like thing where anything you do there is going to get blown up to extreme proportions so i've always had this bucket list goal of breaking against world record so i searched out one on t-shirts in this one putting on 247 t-shirts at once is a spectacle in its own just because it looks so outrageous so <laughs> it's going to easily cause you know that exposure and that kind of wow factor that you're looking for absolutely and so yeah put them on size medium up to a 20 xl was the final shirt and we sold sponsorships on the t-shirts to raise money for juvenile diabetes you know, didn't want to just do it like we're in the back of the shop putting on shirts or whatever. So we did like this whole big community event. We sold yeah. the sponsorships to tie in, you know, charitable cause to it and live streamed it online. And this was 2011 before, like, you know, there wasn't Facebook Live. I think it was Ustream was the thing that we're using. So streaming was pretty new then. But yeah, it was a neat event. I still have people coming up and ask me about it. Well, we're still talking about it here today. I mean, it's yeah. something to see. If you haven't, check it out on YouTube. I've seen the YouTube video. It is well done. It is a master class in media hacks, as you said, or exposure in drawing together a crowd, having a purpose at the intersection yeah. of awareness. And you're not only creating awareness for your business and for your brand, but you brought in so many others. I was so impressed by that, that you really did share that whole marketing it was like a buffet table of marketing tactics and strategies all coming together at the same time. Hey, Tom, how long did it take for you to take off all of those shirts? Not very long. It's a long story to tell, but I almost <laughs> died doing it. <laughs> that's your thing. You're like suffocating yourself. If you never told me that. That's kind of a detail you'd want to tell us. You never said that. I was basically suffocating. Like It was above my mouth and my nose at the end. They were like, just barely pinching the collars down under my nose so I could breathe out of my nose to finish. So they had medical on hand. And as soon as the previous record was 245, and so we broke it by two. And as soon as I did, you know, we stood up and they had a bunch of people, you know, came up on stage and they had medical scissors and they just started cutting them out from around me. And I remember the, the one bouncer at the, it was at a casino in town here, the one security guard. The dude just is massive guy. And he comes up and it's like he's ripping phone books in half, but it's like 10 t-shirts at a time off of me and just wow, cutting the collars and then just yeah. ripping them off me. So it took like less than 10 minutes to get them off. You know what? Next time you need a snorkel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. See, I think Tom, I was going to say, I think it yeah. needs to be revisited. Never again. You said never again, really? Oh, it was. Oh, so you would prefer to run an ultra marathon for 28 hours in Lake Tahoe and almost die rather than sit in a casino in air conditioning 
uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, it was yeah. brutal. I found out really quickly there's a reason why it was a world record. <laughs> I, you know, I think it's an interesting segue into understanding the sales and marketing tactics that work most effectively for you, Tom. If you were to look at your business right now and look at how you get the majority of it, is it done by cold calling? Is it done by Google ads? Is it done by doing stunts like this and showcasing them on social media? What channels are the most effective for you in building Envision Tees? Telling our story, social media, it's all getting out, being active in the community, things like that. Right. Like really zero paid advertising. It's all word of mouth. Our model is every t-shirt tells a story. And not only that, like we want the things that we do to also tell a story. The Guinness World Record there was, I believe, three or 400 people in the room that witnessed that. That is a lifelong story that they'll tell their friends and their children. When I run into people that were there and we're in a group of people, they tell that story again. So I love creating experiences that give people a memorable event to remember and a story to tell. And so like we do that, we host a charity event every year called Mac and Cheese Fest, where it's 20 chefs doing all sorts of different types of mac and cheese, and then 20 breweries sampling beer. And the last three years, we've raised over $100,000 with that event for the Children's Hospital. But more importantly, it's like all that stuff, it combines the community and it creates an event and a memorable experience that people share with their family and friends. Right. And our company just happens to be the people behind putting it on. Right. Do you have a sales team that is out there drumming up business or are they more inbound account people that just answer the phones that ring because of all the community building that you're doing? It's all inbound, which is crazy. Like we've been hiring in trying to get ahead of the process and be more proactive and reach out, do some more outbound and stuff like that. But, you know, at the 25% growth, I feel like that's comfortable growth with just inbound only that if we were to push the needle any harder, yeah. some of our systems and stuff could break. So it's weird that it's always been inbound, but right now we just moved into a new production facility. So we're gearing up to do another growth tier where we hire up and get a little bit more proactive on the marketing and on the sales. Super cool. This podcast has been brought to you by our good friends at Sanmar. Sanmar believes in the power of promotional products. Since 1971, this family-owned apparel supplier has been dedicated to passionately serving customers through trusted brands like Port Authority, Nike Golf, OGO, District, District Made, and Sporttech. You can check them out online at sanmar.com. You can also tune in to Sanmar's new twice-monthly podcast, Sanmar Radio, for expert insights and inspiration to grow your business. Tom, I've heard you say and mention several times, I think it was at Shirt Lab when I first heard you say this, that you have a dream list of your top 100 clients, like a list that you would dream to have. Yeah, the dream 100. That is probably the biggest and most effective way to grow a company. 
and it works a couple different ways. It was first kind of coined by Chet Holmes from the book, The Ultimate Sales Machine, which is one of my all-time favorite books. And basically, you can do a couple different ways, but make a list of your top 100 prospects that you'd love to have as a client. And then you go through a sequence of nurturing and getting them to know you, where it's an email, it's kind of a Facebook stalking thing, it <laughs> might be a phone call, some lumpy mail in the mail. So you're hitting them with a lot of different angles. But basically, it's like building that relationship and friendship over a series of events and getting them to know your world and welcome it into your world and land in those clients. And so we've done this pretty effectively and landed some big clients doing it. And like the extreme part of it is, so how do you get their attention of the, you know, get past the gatekeepers and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, I was just going to say, so how do you add them actually? When do you convert? So we get it to the point where they're essentially begging to do business with us or they're saying like, wow, like you guys went above and beyond what anyone else has ever done for us. How can I repay the favor? So the reciprocity of it is huge. For example, Jay, I know you love tacos. A little bit. If I send you a letter in the mail, hey, Jay, I want to introduce you to Envision Tees, blah, blah, blah. Here's what we do. And that goes in the trash. But you at least like maybe remember them <laughs> a little bit. And then a week later, you get an email from me and it's showcasing something. And then a couple weeks later, all of a sudden, I send you a gift card to the local taco shop in town. You're like, oh, this Tom guy yeah. keeps reaching out. This is kind of nice. He sent me a gift card. And then a week later, you get another email. And then a week later, I not only send you a gift card, but I have the local taco shop deliver tacos to your office for everybody. Now you've got my attention. Not just yes. you. They're getting them for like, your whole staff, like secretary, the whole the gatekeepers getting the tacos too. So everyone's getting tacos. And then finally, like Jason be like, gosh, this time guy is like really nice. So we go through like this whole sequence of this. And if I know like they're a big sports fan or a celebrity, they may be getting tickets to a game. They may be getting like a personalized autograph photo from a celebrity or something like that. And so it just like builds up this crazy reciprocity. Like who is this guy? And like, why is he like trying to be friends with me so much? Or what, what are they trying to do? Right. What's his motive? His motive is pretty clear. He's trying to earn my business, but that's okay. And the cool thing in our space is we can do highly customized stuff, you know, with like our laser engraver. Right. The power of personalizing it. Yeah. So we can send someone a personalized hat or a polo or a water bottle or whatever with their name and company logo already on it. So we're like, it's basically sending a sample ahead of time. Like, hey, check this out. Like, here's the quality. Plus it's personalized for you. And that just goes like above and beyond. So I think a lot of people yeah. aren't willing to go that extra step. Mm -hmm. So that Dream 100 is just like huge. So you've converted a few. I mean, without sharing any, it's working. Yes. Yes. Big time. Okay. That's fabulous. I think Mark, maybe as a segue back to you, the promotional products industry is not new to having spec samples sent or even personalized samples sent. But it sounds like what Tom was doing was going way beyond that. I think we now know that Tom is a rather extreme guy, and that's a great thing for the purposes of this podcast. Certainly, the idea of spec samples in the promotional business, I think, are somewhat standard. But I think what's different about Tom's approach is two things. Number one is that a spec sample can cost a promotional products distributor more than I imagine 
what it's costing Tom because Tom, you've got the facilities in house and you know, you don't have to broker it out. And then number two is that in addition to those spec samples that you're sending out, you're doing the tacos and Jay's example, or you're doing so much more than just the product. And it sounds to me like you're not stopping until, as you say, the client is begging to do business with you. What I find can happen, I don't know if I would say this is necessarily just in the promo space, but just with sales people in general, that they'll, even the most creative ones will give up after a couple of touch points. We always say around here that the average amount of touches that are required to get someone to pay attention and move to the next step is at least 10. And most people have given up after two or three tries. Yeah. So I think, Tom, your story is an inspiration for those among us in the sales profession that you know, know they just have to keep persevering and do things in a creative way. Yeah. So here's the biggest part about the spec samples that everyone screws up is it's got to be part of a bigger overall campaign. So you've got to have a planned out, like, how am I going to touch these people 10 times? Is it an email? Is it a snail mail letter? Is it a phone call? Is it a reach out on LinkedIn or Facebook? And like, what is the sequence of those? Yep. And then what's the storyline and how do you tie that together? So the spec sample might be like number five or number six in that list. Somewhere in there is other little things that tie it all together. And I think that's where people miss the mark is yeah. they think it's just a one-time transaction and they send the spec sample and then just think the prospect is like, yeah, that's cool. Like go for it. But you've right. got to like nurture it and build it. Person's not going to marry you on the first date, right? Yeah. Well, unless you're Jay. Yeah. Not even. But so yeah, you've got to have it really planned out and right. It's part of the story. It's part of the journey. Hey, Tom, I want to dig into some math with you, if that's okay. I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but I'm wondering if you can unpack some of the math around what you're talking about. So a couple questions. So number one, how much does an average campaign cost, this multi-step process? How much does that cost? Number two is how long does this campaign last before the client is begging to do business with you? And number three, what is, sorry, two more questions. Number three of four. Number three is what is your, I actually asked lots of questions. So this might be a 17 part question before we're done. <laughs> Back to being serious. Number three is what is your conversion rate when you identify customers, you know, how many of them that you land? And then number four, what is the average size of client that you're able to bring in through this process? There you go. Four parter. Four-part question. Wow. Tom, did you write those down or do we need to repeat them? Let me dive in and then you can clarify any of the questions. All right. So Dream 100, your top 100 prospects that you'd want. You take the 80-20 principle and say, okay, who would be, if I only had to work with 100 clients, who are those clients? And you know what kind of revenue does that look like per client? You're not going to Joe's Lawn Care who's going to order, you know, 50 t-shirts and an order of koozies a year probably isn't going to be in your dream 100. That might be 500 to a thousand dollars in revenue a year. That's not your dream 100. I would say your dream 100 would be you want someone at least, you know, depending on the size of your business, someone at least a 5,000, 10,000, $20,000 customer. Yep. Maybe you've got different tiers. So 
the top 10 in that dream 100 are potential six figure customers then you tear down you know another section maybe the next 30 are you know $50,000 customers and then you got another 20 or 30 that are $10,000 guys right so you've kind of got a couple different buckets within the dream 100 cuz the big dogs are going to be hard to land no doubt but everyone else and there's a mix in there of the other ones that you can land but let's just say to make it simple if every single one on the dream 100 was potential for $10,000 is that easy enough yeah 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 that's easy math if we landed all 100 it's a million dollars right but we're not going to land all 100 no way so let's just say we land 5 5% very simple very low you should be able to land at least 5 out of 100 okay so that's $50,000 in revenue and speaking in promo terms if we're on a C you know we got roughly let's just say $20,000 in Margin, you know, some rough, rough margin there, right? So twenty thousand dollars in margin. What can you afford to spend on those Dream One Hundred clients, right? Yep. So let's just say it's a hundred dollars a person. That's ten thousand bucks. Yep. Maybe it's not a hundred person. Maybe you go on the tiers of saying, all right, this one's worth a hundred thousand. One client, right? If it's John Deere or big Fortune five hundred company. If they potentially could be a six-figure client, you can afford to spend a little bit more on them. But you can also do it really cheap. I've landed ones where I've spent no more than like $30. I knew they were a baseball fan, so I sent them like a little bobblehead that I got at a game. It wasn't even new stuff. I sent them like random stuff I had in my office because I knew like this person would enjoy something like this. This is starting to sound like the Iowa farm boy who's being frugal, Tom. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like. But that's a great point. It doesn't have to be. Because the part was the story. So I sent a bobblehead. There you go. And I said, hey, I got this at this game, blah, blah, blah. I went to the game with these friends, and here's what I saw. And it made me think of you and your business because of this. So I took a physical object. I related it to business and to what we do. And then I relate it to why it made me think of their business. And now it was a gift for them. So if they enjoy it, they put it on their desk or wherever, that gift, they have a story behind it. And then it also ties back to me. It doesn't have my name on it. But if it's a good enough story, they'll remember that. I love that. And I think you answer the question really well, that mathematical question. And at the end of the day, I think what you're talking about is you're setting sort of a minimum threshold for how successful you'll be with landing customers. So in this case, 5%, which is probably, as you say, very, very conservative. And then just doing the math from there in terms of investing so that you're going to generate a great return. And I think a lot of people in, I would say, both industries, the apparel decorating space and the promotional product space, don't think about it as strategically as that. I think a lot of people look at these as expenses that need to be reduced as opposed to looking at them as investments that will drive tangible sales. And your story is a great example. When you look at it that way, it's like a total no-brainer because if you go and pursue that approach, unless you're doing something really wrong, your conversion rate is going to be really high because most people aren't doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I think, 
either part three or part four of the question was conversion. Yeah. So Tom, you don't have to be specific. <laughs> 17A, if you've been tracking this, and I believe you are the type of person that would be benchmarking and tracking this, are you seeing a 5% conversion, a 10%, a 20? Is there a number you could kind of give us a general feel? We're seeing a lot more than that. <laughs> nice. It's really good. Like I said, we're not doing any other paid advertising because you know I call this relationship building. And when you build these relationships, and even if you were to break even on the front end of doing these campaigns and, and landing these on this first time around, it's the lifetime value of these customers and the relationships that you create with. Absolutely. And it's not only like this sequence of the Dream 100 to land the customer, but then to keep, to them. keep nurturing them yeah. and keep them on board and keep that relationship strong throughout the whole journey with you. So it's a long-term play. I never play for like the short-term or the one-time transaction. It's long-term, lifetime value, everything. And that would go into part of your identifying who's on that list, right? You're looking for yes. a six to seven figure, deep six figure, long-term relationship. Yes, correct. So if it took you, you know, uh, $200, $400, $500 over the course of 20 touches, that would be worth it you would be like, why would I not do this? We've had some where, you know, we try to like condense those touches and do a two to three month time frame, and, you know, through feedback and stuff. So if they don't convert, then we'll spread it out. So they're still getting some touches like, you know, every couple months or something. Mm -hmm. But we've had ones that have taken three or four years to convert. Wow. And the reason is like, sometimes the timing just Right. Well, that's a long-term, that's impressive. I mean, that's a, I'm glad you shared that because I don't want people listening to think, oh yeah, you spend 20 bucks and you get a, you know, $20,000 client. It just falls out of the sky because there's so many of them in Iowa, you know? No, it's a long-term thing. Like I said, for the bigger ones, sometimes depending on their situation or what's going on, the timing just might not align right. But if their current vendor screws something up or whatever the case may be, you want to make sure you're still in the forefront, the next person on the list when they need something. Yep. Makes a ton of sense. Mark, is there an 18B part of that question that we didn't cover? Well, I do have an 18B, but it's switching gears a little bit. Tom, I had a question for you about, you had a post on your Facebook group, the Screen Print Marketing, a recent post, and I just wanted to read an excerpt from it and then just ask you a question about it. It has everything to do with your role as a leader in terms of how you establish vision. So here's the quote from your post. If you've ever watched a rowing team, you see how fast the team goes because everyone is rowing in exactly the same direction at exactly the same speed. You can imagine the friction that would be caused if someone started rowing just slightly to the right or at a completely different speed. Their rapid progress depends on complete alignment of everyone in the boat. You then go on and talk about how that's not always been the case for you at Envision, where the vision that you had for the company was not necessarily shared with everyone at the same time. So that created some friction. Can you talk about some of those missteps? Because we spent a lot of time talking about all of your well-earned successes, but I'd love to get into the parts where things have maybe not been as good and how it is that you've overcome some of those challenges. 
Oh, Mark, you're killing me here. <laughs> 18B is always the worst question. Yeah, that's a killer. He waited to see how sneaky he is. He pumps you up with all the, look how great you are, Inc. 5000. You got a new place. You're blowing it up. And then he's like, so tell us about the part where, uh, yeah. The hardest part, I think, of being an entrepreneur and owning your own business is admitting to some of these, whether it's failures or learning experiences or not doing yeah. the right thing sometimes. And reading the book, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willick, yeah. where you basically like everything that happens in your business is because of you, you know, whether not training properly or not leading properly, whatever it may be. And so I realized like we had some turnover of some people and some people are with us for a while. And sometimes as the owner and like the visionary, I get caught at the 30,000 foot level of strategically trying to look at, all right, where are we going to be five years from now? What does our company look like then? And, you know, how are we going to get there? And then on the day-to-day level, not communicating that effectively with the team. Essentially, what I did was didn't pass that on. So people are going about their day-to-day job and we're getting orders out the door and we have happy customers and we're growing and everything's going good. But there was no game plan. Like, what's the Super Bowl for us? Like, what is the end result? Where are we going? And like, how are we going to get there type of thing? And a lot of times, like, I would have those visions in my head or this game plan in my head, but I failed to do a good job of effectively, you know, passing that on to the rest of the team and letting them share that vision with me. Yeah. And it's kind of like when you're like, Wishing someone did something, and you're like, gosh, why isn't that person doing that? And then you're like, well, you never explained it to them, or they don't see what you see in your head um, the same. So you really have to define that vision, put some focus on it, and then share it with everyone so they can see the same vision that you're seeing. Because as the entrepreneur, you don't always like get that. And so that was a big thing I found is leading is like, I have to do a better job of sharing that vision and getting everyone on board to see that vision and and take us there. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate your vulnerability there. I mean, I'm nodding my head as you share that story because oftentimes what the outside world sees about your business is the positive and the fun and sexy things that you might do on social and, you know, that's your outward view, but then you come into the office and you've got culture issues or morale issues, or you've got turnover issues or, you know, this whole range of drama that you're struggling with. And a lot of it comes down to people and how it is that you get them all rowing in the same direction. And that's why that post really jumped out at me. And I appreciate you sharing because I think a lot of people listening to this will relate. Yeah. And it changes over time. You know, we've got almost 40 people on our team right now. And so like, my role is shifted. And I think a lot of business owners, as you grow, you've got to be able to or, or see like those changes in place where you're not only trying to keep the customer happy and deliver everything for the customer, but you have to deliver for your team. Yeah. And there was a great story I read last week from Jack Ma from Alibaba. And he basically said like, he doesn't know anything about marketing. He doesn't know anything about technology. What he does know is how to listen to and understand people and he basically said if he could share his vision and his passion everything else with his team they 
would go to battle for him and be able to do whatever it took to get it done. And it was, it was just really neat to see a perspective from him and the level that they're built on. But yeah, it's just that leadership and, and changing kind of gears and knowing that you've got to have that clear vision, clear path for everybody. Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff, Tom. Appreciate that. That's interesting. We can all relate. It's timely to what we're trying to do, whether we see ourselves as promotional product distributors or suppliers or apparel decorators, whatever the sign says out front, those are all reality checks to all of our businesses in terms of leadership, in terms of growth. So love it. Good stuff. Well, we're coming up on our stopping point. Is there anything else that you, Tom, feel that you could share with us? I like to end, or at least try to end a little bit on you know, an optimistic vision of the future? Is there anything that you're looking forward to? Is there some trend that is just, you know, you're crushing it right now? Tell us about Tom in the future of Envision Tees. Oh, wow. We just keep pushing to be better and trying to figure out how we can not only elevate ourselves, but elevate the industry. You know, I love seeing what others are doing out there with technology or whatever it may be, because I think the better that we can position ourselves as an industry against other forms of advertising, against other options out there in marketing and things like that. Like it raises everyone, everyone else. Amen to that. Is that a, would you say a contributing factor to why you and our friend, our dear friend, Marshall Atkinson, is that possibly one of the motivators for starting the shirt lab? Yeah, that's why I started the shirt lab event. That's why I do the screen print marketing Facebook group. We've got 7,000 screen printers in there. Why are you showing and teaching <laughs> your competitors what you're doing with marketing and kind of creating an open form for that? And I'm like, because the better we can all do together, like the better we can all do individually. And, you know, I just want to, I love seeing the industry progress and get better together. That's awesome. There's so many interesting parallels between the kind of thinking that many of us in Promo Kitchen feel that's aligned with what you just said, because I think that there's this real view amongst many in the industry, or at least amongst a segment of the industry that really believes that a rising tide will float all boats, that there's tons of business to go around and that if you're a leader, good things come around. And I think that that reminds me certainly a lot of the founding story of Promo Kitchen in 2011. And it's interesting to see how it's blossomed and it's wonderful to have you, Tom, now indirectly part of that community. So. Thank you for leading the way. It's very, very inspirational. Awesome. No, thank you guys. Well, we're glad you spent some time with us today. We feel like we know you a little bit better. We know a little more about Tom from Envision Tees in Iowa. And we'll save the ultra marathon running discussion for the after podcast chat. <laughs> that sounds good. Because I will have no part in that. I'll just tell you. Now. Run for tacos <laughs> and you'll run that hundred miler, man. Hey, listen, there was a time and a place where I was in shape. Come on now. I mean, I've done uh, a rim to rim Grand Canyon hike and did it in less than 18 hours. So I may not be running ultra marathons, but, you know, I'm not into running so much, <laughs> even if it is for it's, it's mental running, Jay. It's mental running. <laughs> there you go. Chasing after kids. Hey, guys, that was so fun. Really awesome. Tom, best of luck. And thank you so much on behalf of the entire PK community. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen Podcast. 
If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org slash donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.